<laughs> Reverting back. <laughs> okay, let's open with prayer. Lord God, we come before you again today. Your sons and daughters, Heavenly Father, we've been studying your word. We've been studying about a world that uh, seems strange to us, a world that's a result of sin and the fall. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you'd give us discernment, that you would make us right and prepare our hearts, that your spirit would work in our lives, that we're prepared for the invisible war that we face day in and day out. Pray, Lord, that we be your warriors, that we go forth in your name, and that we honor and glorify you in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, today is our last discipleship hour. Uh, not only of the spiritual warfare section, but uh, of the year. Um, and if you think about where we've gone, we started with the spiritual disciplines that Chris taught us, went into the spiritual gifts that Bob taught us, and then into spiritual warfare. So this is really the last lesson. And I suppose we could almost spend an entire lesson wrapping up the entire school year and bringing it all together. Um, but I've been tasked to do that. Today we're going to talk about uh, demonic influence, possession, and deliverance. And as we think about the different lessons that we've gone through over the year, and as we reviewed last, year about uh, last week about prayer, you can see how a lot of these things are interrelated. So the spiritual disciplines that Chris taught us, the spiritual gifts that Bob taught us, and spiritual warfare, it's all related. It's not like you take one piece of it and say, okay, now I'm engaged in spiritual warfare, so that's what I'm focusing on. No, you need to have the spiritual disciplines in your life. You need to understand what your spiritual gifts are, and you need to be prepared for spiritual warfare. So today we're going to talk about uh, demonic influence, uh, demonic possession, and deliverance. First of all, regarding demonic influence, um, question there is how prevalent is it in our society um, and this as in contrast to the next section where people are actually possessed okay so how pre prevalent is it that we have demonic influence in our world well I, I think it's quite prevalent I think it's all around us I think we fight it day in and day out um, sometimes you know maybe we're aware of it and I think a lot of times we're not. A lot of times it just catches us off guard. We're just doing our daily routines. We're doing what we do with our family, at work, at play. And suddenly we're just kind of hit by something. It's like, well, where did that come from? You know, why am I so crabby with my wife? <laughs> or, you know, why is it that it seems like no matter what we're doing, things are going awry? You know, things are difficult. Or why is it that I have conflict? at work. Where's this conflict coming from? And I think in part we can, we can attribute that to uh, demonic influence. Um, as opposed to demonic possession, I think demonic influence is the type of thing that's so nuanced that we don't notice it. You know, it happens, it impacts our lives, and I think sometimes we kind of belittle it and we don't take it seriously. Uh, and yet we know, based upon our study here, the invisible war, that there is a war going on out there and uh, the demons who fell with Satan would love nothing better than to take the glory away from God and to destroy our lives. Sometimes that destruction in our lives is a matter of just taking the joy away. 
you know, and making us suffer and making things difficult for us. Uh, sometimes, you know, and again, obviously it's the sovereignty of God at work as well, but sometimes uh, demonic influence can take people that we love from us. And it's, it's extremely tragic. Um, so as we look at this, um, we can see that the Bible repeatedly talks about demons. And, and as I studied this, I was, again, reminded of how things that seem somewhat innocuous and not that big a deal can actually be the result of, 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 of demons. So first, there's a, there's a verse in 1 Timothy 4 that says, uh, in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Um, you know, false teaching is, is one of those things that can be so nuanced. It can, it can slip into the body of Christ, and you don't even realize it. The Bible tells us you will have false teachers. You will have false teaching. And the question is, are we engaged enough with spiritual disciplines? Do we know our spiritual gifts that we're prepared when that false teaching slips in? You know, I'm always surprised that when we talk about the Reformation... Think about it. We had the New Testament church. We had Jesus Christ, the Son of God, here on the earth who gave us the new covenant. And it was within a thousand years, earlier than a thousand years, that the church was really, really messed up. We needed a reformation to turn things around. And why is that? Well, I think false teaching slid into the church. Now today, we all have our Bibles. You know, this was kind of Part of the problem was pre-printing press, but people still, you know, the, the, the word of God was available to people, right? Well, what happened? How did we get from the New Testament church, which of course had its struggles, and we see that in the New Testament, to the point just before the Reformation where people were not understanding the word of God. They had these priests, they had the Catholic church that had a very distorted gospel. It wasn't the true gospel. And that's a warning to us today, and that is don't rely just upon your pastor and your elders to keep the doctrine sound. You guys need to know your Bibles, okay? Because there are demons that would like nothing better than for you not to read your Bibles and not to study your Bibles and not to know what sound doctrine is. And when false teaching slips in, we need you to come alongside us and identify the false teaching and address the false teaching. So that's one. A second way that we can see demonic influence is in bitterness and anger. And I think we're familiar with this Ephesians passage from chapter 4. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And you look at these things, you say, what's the big deal, you know? What's a little bit of bitterness? You know, I want to be bitter about something. I'm going to be bitter about something. I'm going to stick with it. I just want to be bitter, you know. Well, it tastes so good, it tastes yeah. So good. yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe in the short term, but long term, it's, it's, it's damaging. It can hurt us. And you look at these things, you say, well, what's wrong with a little bit of slander? So what if I say something about somebody that's just not quite right? Well, the Bible tells us that this is giving the devil an opportunity to actually get into our lives. And it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if, 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 if it's the end of the day and you are really angry about something with someone, do something about that. You know, present that to the Lord. And if possible, talk to that person. Get rid of that anger. 
Um, I know I've gone to bed before angry, and there I am stewing, you know. <laughs> if I would have just done what this passage tells me to do, addressed my anger, quit stewing, I probably would have gotten a better night's sleep and certainly would have done something that uh, would have been more glorifying to God. Okay, the third one, the third way that we see demonic influence is jealousy and selfish ambition. James 3 says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The word demonic is in there. And here again, this is one of those areas where it's, it's so nuanced. You know, having ambition is not a bad thing, right? Paul a number of times says, it is my ambition to do something, okay? Ambition is good. We are warned not to be lazy. The problem here is selfish ambition. And I think you could probably spend a whole sermon, you know, a pastor could spend a whole sermon about ambition versus selfish ambition. And I'd encourage you to think about that. What is selfish ambition? You know, when, I'm, when am I doing something which is otherwise productive or otherwise maybe a good thing, but it's selfish. It's for myself. You know, the Bible actually in the New Testament talks about people that steal, and it says, you know, steal no more, but work with your hands. Why? So that you actually have to give to others, okay? So often we think about work and what we do, labor, to make money for ourselves, to provide for ourselves. But what the Bible tells us is, it's not just for you, okay? It's so that you can provide for others. That's the way God is glorified. So we need to be very careful with our ambition. Check yourself. You know, think about it. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this for God's glory, for God's kingdom, is this, or is this for myself? Am I serving myself? Similarly with jealousy, we know that God is a jealous God, okay? So there are forms of jealousy, you know, I'm jealous for my wife. I don't want anybody else looking or touching my wife, right? I'm jealous for my wife. That's a good thing. Um, but there's a lot of jealousy that is not God-glorifying. And there, too, we have to be careful because it's like, well, what's wrong with a little bit of jealousy? Oh, man, if I could only have that. I really wish, I, you know, I had what they have or things were going for me the way they're going for that person, or, or whatever it may be. It's one of those areas where the demons can influence us and can affect us. And something like that, if it grows, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't know how many of you have watched VeggieTale videos, but uh, if you remember the video about the rumor weed, you know, it starts out as a little root that comes up, I think, from the sewer system or something, and Somebody says a little something to somebody else and it grows a little bit. And then somebody else gossips about somebody else and it grows even bigger. And before you know it, this rumor weed is like this huge vine that has taken over the entire city. And I think these sins are like that. You know, they seem so small and so tiny at first. And yet if we don't address them, if we, don't, if we aren't convicted of our sins and repent of those sins, they can actually turn out to be very, very damaging in our lives. And then fourthly, there's uh, disobedience and pride. Um, I believe the sermon today is going to be about King Saul. That's what Barry said. Um, and here, you know, King Saul is a very good example of uh, some disobedience and pride. And you look at it, you know, you think about some of the things that happened in the Old Testament. And sometimes I think, wow, God was really hard on these people. You know, they did one thing, you know, struck the rock instead of spoke to the rock. You know, there's disobedience there. 
And then I think sometimes as New Testament Christians, we look at the things that we do and we engage in disobedience, sometimes kind of because we're lazy in our faith, sometimes intentionally we're like, I'm just going to do what I want to do, right? And you look at how God was very hard on the folks in the Old Testament with their, their disobedience. So we have no reason to believe that God isn't equally upset with us when we disobey with him now as New Testament Christians. So I think we need to be careful there too. We know what happened with King Saul and what happened with his heart and how the evil spirit actually took him over and influenced him. And so there too, I think we have to be careful with our disobedience and pride. Okay, does anyone have any comments about uh, demonic influence and how it affects us before we go into demonic possession? Yes, Doug. I think discouragement is, is uh, kind of taking me back to the church. Mm-hmm. I know it is with me. And, you know, sometimes I just, I just want to give up. It's just too hard. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you know, um, I noticed, you know, one more person, I think it was Anthony Bourdain this week, committed suicide, right? Another celebrity that we've lost. And these aren't godly people, but, you know, they get discouraged. And I think, you know, the demons rejoice when they find someone that gets so discouraged that they take their life, you know? And we can talk about depression and how some suicides are the cause of depression or where people go, you know, to the point where they kill themselves. But, you know... You think of things like abortion too. You know, Satan rejoices. You know, he's carried this sin to the point where actually people are dying, you know, in the name of sin. It's just horrible. And same thing with discouragement and suicide and stuff. I think, you know, we need to be, if, if, if we're discouraged, we need to lean on each other. We need to lean on the Lord and we need to just pray uh, for encouragement. Yes, Brett. Right. Yep, we're told Satan is the father of lies, and yeah, 
Yeah, you need more to be happy. You need more. You need this. You need that. You need more. You know, I, I got a new cell phone yesterday. Too bad my wife just left. I asked the guy, how old's my cell phone? Four years? He said, no, it's older than that. <laughs> so I went and got an iPhone 8, you know, kicking and screaming. It's like, there's nothing wrong with the old phone. You know, and, and you look at like cell phones and, okay, what do we really need versus what do we want? I, you know, I had the discussion when I came home with it. I said to my family, I was like, is this a status symbol or what? Why are we spending this kind of money on phones? Yes, I mean, there's practical reasons, you know, it makes our lives easier. Um, but, you know, how much of it is marketing and peer pressure, if you will, or whatever? You know, I, I, I have to say, you know, I go to court and I hide my phone. I don't want anybody to see the old phone. You don't want anybody to see my old phone because it's such a dinosaur, you know? Well, now I don't have to do that anymore, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, now I'm going <laughs> to... Okay, before we move into demonic possession, let's think about some historic figures kind of based on what Brett said. Was there someone else at a point? Bob, yes. Right, yeah. Well, I, I don't think we necessarily know, need to know where it's coming from, whether it's the world, the devil, or flesh, and I guess it's part of the devil, the demons, right? Um, we do know that things like envy and slander are things that are not God-glorifying, things we're supposed to fight against. And whether it comes from our flesh, or whether it comes from a demon, or whether it comes from Satan himself, um, I, I don't think any of it's acceptable, you know, um, and we don't, you know, the title of the book is Invisible War. We don't see it when a demon's hovering around us putting thoughts in our heads, right? Or tempting us to do something or look at something. We don't see that. Um, so we don't really know a lot of times whether it's a demon or whether it's our, our flesh. Um, I'm not sure that it matters. You know, I, I think we just have to fight against it. Yes, Doug. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, you know, it's pretty hard to, you can't put boundaries as to where one of them ends and the other begins, you know. Right, it's all sin. You know, and, and I'm thinking that the whole system that we're in, you know, it's pretty hard. The lines are pretty blurred between demons, the world, and the flesh. Right, right. And excuse me, Father, for using this analogy, and it's way messy, but to the Trinity, and the only reason I did is because there's three things. Sure. But 
raised the question yes. because I think that it's easy for us to, to blame um, the, mm. the monitoring killers you know, as, as if we are powerless or as, as we are under assault. And I'm not saying that we aren't at times, mm. but, the, but I think that the real answer ultimately is that the antidote, the response, is the same regardless of whether the fight is being suppressed or the fight is against Right. Uh, Question is, what would do we do with it? You know, you're you're not sinning by being tempted. You're sinning when you give into the temptation. In the '70s, there was a comedian, Cook Wilson, who Mm. who joked line was, uh, "The devil made me do it." Right. And uh, and I think that at times we we in the church can can do that same thing and in some ways justify or rationalize behavior that it was to a degree out of my control. But the reality is, I was still I was. Well, yeah, and when we're talking about the flesh, sometimes the excuse is, I'm only human. Yeah, Yeah, you are human, and you're responsible, you know. (laughs) You're accountable for what you do. So the two examples, historical figures I was going to give was, think of Nero, how he persecuted Christians in horrible ways, and think about Hitler, you know, Adolf Hitler. Some would say that these guys were demon-possessed, okay? Others would say that they were influenced by demons, I don't know. I, I haven't studied them enough, and I don't know if anyone actually has, but um, I've heard people make the argument that um, they were probably demon-possessed. Okay, so let's go into demonic possession. Um, it's interesting that you know we've, we've spent this much time on the invisible war, and we were giving about uh, 25 minutes to demonic possession. I think we could probably have an entire section on demonic possession. Um, one question here is prevalence in our society. Well, I would uh, argue that, you know, it's not just in Africa, folks. We have demons here. We have demons in Seattle. We probably have demons in Edmonds, okay? And I think the demons are possessing certain people. You know, I've, I've, I've actually been a little discouraged. I'm not picking on Nate, okay? I'm not looking at Nate, but I, I've been a little discouraged with how pastors talk about demonic possession, and the spiritual gift of discernment. I had one pastor who was giving a spiritual gifts workshop once say about the gift of discerning evil spirits. Well, we really don't know what that is, so let's just not talk about that. He just had no definition for it, okay? And then often I hear pastors, and I actually talked to my mother-in-law this past week. She said, well, our pastor, who has since uh, retired, but um, he said that, well, we really don't have much demonic possession here in the States. You have to go to Africa to find it. I disagree. I think we have it here. And frankly, I think if you want to go look for it, I'm not encouraging you to do that. I think you could go to Seattle today and preach the gospel boldly in certain places and you would find demonic possession, okay? It's not like it isn't there. I think what it is is we avoid it. We don't go looking for it. I'm not saying we have to go looking for it. But it's here. It's not just in Africa. It's in our country. It's in Western Washington. It, it, it's around us. Now, a difficult question is, well, what's the difference between someone who has a mental health issue versus demonic influence versus demonic possession? And, and some of those are very, very hard to know. Um, you know, I used to go on the bike trail on the way home from work, and there was some guy in the woods. I never saw him, except for just briefly, I would see him running kind of between the bushes, and he would groan and moan and stuff every time I, I, I biked by him. And I would pray every time that the Spirit keep me strong, protect me, and also be with this gentleman, whoever he was. 
I was kind of convinced the guy was probably possessed. I never really saw him, but he was in there. I think he sensed when I came by, and I sensed when he was there, and he would let out a groan, probably similar to some of the demon-possessed people in the Bible where they would call out or they'd yell out, and people would stay away from him, right? So this individual, whoever he was, and I haven't heard him in the last year or two, but was it a mental health issue? Could have been. Could have been, but usually mental health people aren't living outdoors, homeless. I mean, sometimes they are, okay. Um, it could have been demonic influence, but he could have been possessed as well. So a few warnings here um, about demonic possession. One is we always have to remember that our power is in Christ alone, okay? Our power is not in being a Presbyterian or being a member of our church. Our power is not in having our act together or even, you know, having um, confessed all our sins. That's not where our power is. Ultimately, if you are confronted with someone who's demon-possessed, your power is in Christ. And that power is the greatest power on the earth. You don't need a greater power, but it's not in and of your, yourself that, uh, that you can withstand someone who is demon-possessed or withstand spiritual attack. Related to that, I think we have to remain humble. Okay? I think pride can sneak up in us. We've got it together. We're okay. Right? Well, ultimately, if you're up against a demon or against Satan, you need God there. You need God's strength, and you're, you're relying on him. You're relying on nothing in and of yourself. Um, I ran into a demon-possessed guy once, and we had a, we had a spiritual confrontation. Okay? And uh, he said, look into my eyes. And this was when I was on the mission field. And I looked into his eyes, and his face turned into the face of a gargoyle. I was actually looking at the face of a demon. And in this, this confrontation, I can't tell you time-wise how long it lasted. It was in the afternoon. Um, and this goes into a number of the other points here as well. It could have lasted minutes, but I think it was a lot longer than minutes. The people around us scattered. They just, <laughs> they left. This was something pretty foreign to them. Um, it was pretty scary. You know, I was 19 years old. Um, never run into something like this. I came from a good Reformed background, right? Not Pentecostal by any means. But I was preaching the gospel, and I was preaching the gospel boldly, and there it was, right? It's like, whoa. So I'm having this confrontation with this guy. And it was rapid-fire temptations during this confrontation, okay? The demon was tempting me. You know, one of the temptations was pride, okay? And what I pictured when I was going through this spiritual warfare with this demon this, that afternoon was I was picturing when Moses was, you know, raising his hands with fighting the Amalekites, and then he would let them down, and the Israelites would start to lose. And then he would raise his hands, and they'd win again, and then... You know, after a while, they had to prop up his, his arms, right, so that they would win the battle. Similarly, I was praying during this confrontation, and whenever I, I rested in terms of, you know, relying upon my own strength, and I was not humble, that demon was taking over. He was, he was winning the battle, whatever that battle was, and I don't know what the battle really was. It was kind of push back and forth and back and forth, but he was winning that battle. Um, but when I rested on Christ alone, it was like, boom, you know, <laughs> strength, power, you know, it was there. I was resting in Christ alone. And similarly, I think with Moses, when his arms went up, the Israelites were winning, winning that war. Um, 
Another temptation that the demon brought out at the time was, he said, you are powerful, okay? So he was trying to puff me up. Like here I was powerful. I was somebody special. There was something about me that was more powerful than the, the, any other Christian or something. And I said to him, I said, no. I said, my power is in Christ alone. I said, by myself, I can do nothing, absolutely nothing. But in Christ's power, I have all the power in the world. So I pushed back on that one. And then towards the end of our confrontation back and forth, um, and it was, the sun was starting to drop. Uh, the demon said, it's getting dark. You will lose your power now. And there too, that was a temptation. The temptation there was to doubt the power of Christ. And I said, no. I said, my God, Christ is as powerful in the dark as he is in the light. You have no more power in the dark than in the light. So I hope that's helpful um, to you uh, if you ever run into, you know, someone who is demon-possessed and you run into a confrontation. Um, I guess I would caution you, be aware of the rapid-fire temptations that might come your way. You have to be prayed up. You have to rely upon yourself. I mean, I'm convinced today I would have been eviscerated <laughs> if I would have, you know, fallen into one of them, those temptations and relied upon, you know, my own strength. But I didn't, thank God. You know, I relied upon Christ, so I had the strength to push back. Okay, so um, the third caveat here is we're not in a quest for greater and greater knowledge of demons. Okay. There are certain heavenly things about God that we don't know and that we're not supposed to know. You know, we talk about Paul going up to the seventh heaven, and then there are things that we are not supposed to know. And those are good things, right? Those are godly things. There are mysteries of God that we don't know, and we're not entitled to know in this world. And that's okay, right? I think in our modern-day society, we think we, we give this high value to intelligence and knowledge, okay? And we think that we have to know it all. I think that too is a temptation. That could be a demonic temptation. That somehow we need to be bright. We need to be smart. We need to be intelligent. We need to know as much as we possibly can. But there are some mysteries of God that we don't need to know. And I think similarly with respect to demons, I think there are some things that we just simply don't need to know. And that's okay. You know, I wasn't looking for this confrontation with this guy when I was 19 years old, it just showed up and I had to deal with it. I'd much rather not have had to deal with it, but it was there, okay? But we don't go searching for it. Um, I don't go to downtown Seattle looking for demons to possess people to throw spirits out, you know? It's just not what I do. And I don't think God wants us to do that. We're told to go into the nations and preach the gospel, okay? We're not told to go into the nations and find demons and cast them out. However, when we're preaching the gospel, and this is my point C there, I think the occasions when you're most likely to run into demon possession is when you are preaching the gospel boldly, okay? Typically, you're not going to find it in church, okay? Church is a pretty comfortable, protected environment. I'm not saying that demons don't influence church services from time to time. But I don't think you're typically going to find demon possession in church. But I think if you go out there, okay, and you preach the gospel boldly in places you know the gospel does not exist, whether it's a homeless camp or wherever it is, okay, I think you are going to run into demon possession. 
Okay, our book talked about different um, evidences of demonic possession. One is severe sickness. And if you flip the, to the second page, one is de uh, divination, which is fortune-telling. A third one is unusual physical strength. You know, we have, we've all heard the, uh, the news stories about the police, you know, where they jump on a guy and there's four or five of them and they try to hold him down and they can barely hold him down. Sometimes it's drug-induced um, and sometimes I think it's demonic possession. So yeah, sometimes people that are demon-possessed have incredible strength. Uh, fits of rage. A fifth one, there's split personality. Uh, we all know of the stories of people who, you know, you're talking to this person, and then you're talking to this person, and then it seems like one person has multiple personalities. I had one lady that would call me and leave me phone messages, and one would be, hi, Theo, this is Cheryl, you know, sweet as pie. This is at work. And the next one, rah, 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 you know, just screaming at me. And then she had about four or five different personalities. Um, and she may have been someone that was, that was demon-possessed. Another uh, evidence is resistance to spiritual help. Another one is uh, voices from within. You know, we've, we've heard of the news stories as well of, of people who are uh, arrested and uh, charged with crimes, and they say, well, a voice told me to do it, right? And you think, oh, you know, the world would say, this is maybe kind of the realities we talked about last week, God's reality versus the world's reality. The world would kind of poo-poo that and say, oh, that's mental instability. You know, they're listening to voices. There aren't really voices there, right? Um, but we know that, you know, from the Bible, it could be voices from a demon. Uh, occult powers. Occult powers are very real. I remember reading a book once called The Beautiful Side of Evil. And uh, this one woman in Mexico was, was demon-possessed, and people would bring um, sick people to her for, for healing. And she would, um, she would open them up, you know, surgery. She'd remove whatever tumor or something, and she'd kind of put her hand over it. There'd be no scar. It'd be complete healing. And yet she was an evil person. She was someone who was under the power of a demon who had occultic powers. Um, one, I've added two more here. One is warnings from those with the spiritual gift to discern evil spirits, okay? And this kind of goes back to Bob's teaching. Um, we know that there is a spiritual gift to discern evil spirits. And if those that um, have that gift are telling you, you know, that uh, I, you know, I, I sense that there's a demon there or something, I think you need to put your radar up and think about that. And then lastly, and this is an interesting verse, and I, I'd encourage you to study this from Matthew 6, 22 through 23, it says, uh, the eye is a lamp to the body, and if the eyes are dark, then the body is dark. If the eyes are light, then the, the body is light. Um, to me, that is kind of an insight into sometimes how you can discern if someone is possessed, okay? Sometimes you can just see it in their eyes, you know? They have a very, very dark look in their eyes, a scary look. Um, and that can be an indication that, that, that they are possessed. Um, does anybody have any comments about any of this? Everybody talks to me after these classes. They don't talk to me in class. And what I've experienced, guys, okay, 
is it's the women who are coming to me and talking about these things, and I haven't heard much from the guys. It's kind of interesting. Yes, Doug. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't some of these guys, and some of these people were just, you know, kind of innocently ignorant. Others of these people were dark, darkly malevolent. They were looking for it. Yeah. And um, I mean, the Manson family is a prime example. You can't convince me that those people weren't demon possessed. I'm sure they were. Mm-hmm. And it may have been drug-induced, or that may have been the vehicle that got them into that, and I'm sure it was, because they admit to, you know, heavy drug use. But I saw a lot of it in, uh, in San Francisco and other places that I hung out. Um, you know, the Lord saved me from, from that stuff. And I'm glad he did. Um, but yeah, it's out there. So a question I have for you, Doug, is if you look at my point F1, I put under five, or F5, I put drugs and music. Yeah. If you'd reflect on that. I mean, I, I, I personally think that what drugs do is somehow they lower the barrier of our hearts, okay? They open it up for demon possession. I think we all have the Spirit of God puts a barrier up there that protects our souls. But I do think that drugs somehow lower that barrier and makes it more likely that the demons can, can, can take us over. Well, I wouldn't say it's absolute, but okay. I, I would say that um, <clears throat> it's certainly plausible and possible that that happens. And I believe that I, that's some of what I saw. In, in the 60s. Now, some of those people came in malevolent, right. and, the jugs, uh, and the drugs just enhanced it. Sure. Other, others of those people came in, I'm going to put quotes around innocent, but uh, gullible is maybe a better word than, than innocent. And um, they got influenced, but not necessarily taken over. Uh, but some of them there's a couple of people I'm thinking of in particular that I know from those days that I'm glad I don't, I haven't seen them in a hundred years. Yeah, you, you, know? you have no idea whether they were ever delivered or not. I have no idea. Right. And, um, you know, and I hope they were. Somehow I doubt it. Right. But, because um, we do know that there are examples of folks from the 60s and 70s, you know, who came out of it who testify to God's goodness and greatness. Well, I'm one of them. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's no reason in the world why I should be alive today, <laughs> except for Jesus. He had a plan for you. Yeah. <laughs> Could you give the mic to Linda? Yes, Linda. I just wondered if um, you would consider adding movies 
to the list of, of drugs and music. I'm just curious of what your opinion is on yeah, that. Yeah, I think we need to be real careful there. Um, I am not of the opinion that a movie is just a movie is just a movie, okay? I had roommates at the Christian college I went to once, and they were watching the movie Oh God by, I forget what his name is, George Burns, thank you. And they were watching this movie, and I was so disgusted. I said, how can you guys watch this movie? They're making fun of our God. And they're like, oh, it's just a movie. It's just entertainment. I'm like, no, it's not. They're blaspheming our God. How can you sit there and watch this? So I was disgusted. And that's maybe a lesser example of, of the power of movies. But um, I think we need to be careful because I think like drugs and like music, I think movies affect our emotions and affect our hearts and our souls. We can walk away from a movie, you know, with a very different mood than we walked into the movie with. So there's, there's a real power there. So I guess I would say, yes, movies can affect us, um, but we also need to be careful to be not too judgmental. I think we need to be discerning is what we need to be. Um, I haven't seen some of the scariest ones like The Exorcist. I refuse to go see those movies. I don't think as a believer we should see those movies. Um, yes, Sheila. Um, I have a psych degree, and uh, just going through, you know, whenever they talk about history, they'd always say, oh, in, in the past, everyone thought this was demon possession, et cetera. That was in everything. And just to put that perspective out there that mental health professionals are probably all taught that there's no there's no demons involved in anything so well and in fact just to put you know just so people are aware of that that that's the prevailing wisdom is that that's all medieval or that's all very primitive to think that way and th and they would would they be disciplined if I don't they know if about, they diagnose someone as that. okay cuz i know but, for example yeah. with you know some of the gay agenda that we're getting these days mm -hmm. The mental health professionals, if they work right. against someone that oh, yeah. wants to be a homosexual or claims to be a homosexual, they yeah. can be disciplined for that. Well, in California, it's illegal. Right. Okay, uh, Doug? Well, I, I'm convinced that an awful lot of these movies and TV shows are r really re recruiting propaganda for an alternative lifestyle. And... Um, that's why I won't watch some things, uh, is because I think that's exactly what they are. They're recruiting kids to become homosexuals or, or to applaud their gender dysphoria. Um, to, you know, and that's the biggest example of what's going on right now. But it's all, it, it's all to remove the, 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 boundaries between good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. I think in this day and age, we've, we've kind of lost the discernment. You know, I even talked to my, my wife about Pokemon, you know. Um, my daughter was really into Pokemon as a little girl. Um, and I think my son was as well. Is that in and of itself bad? Probably not. But I think sometimes what some of those things do is they desensitize us to demons. You know, it, it lowers our guard just a little bit. And so I think we need to be real careful about things like that. Yes, Gail. Just on the um, advertising, like you mentioned, 
I think that's very right. Which, like other things, can make the demons more even even more dangerous because people aren't aware of it. They're not aware of it. Okay. Well, um, I've <laughs> I've got a lot more to go through. Um, I do have the point here to exercise or not to exercise, and this isn't about working out. This is the other type of exorcism. Um, you know, we could spend a lot of time on that. Um, I do want to just say one thing, and that is, as we talked about the spiritual gifts, okay, that we find from the Bible. Nowhere do you find the spiritual gift of casting out demons, right? You do have the spiritual gift of discerning evil spirits, but not the spiritual gift of casting out demons. So ask yourself, well, what does that mean? And I think what that means is that each and every one of us, at some point in our lives, may be called upon by God to cast out a demon, depending on where you are and what your circumstance is. I don't think it's necessarily a spiritual gift. You don't necessarily have to have a priest come in to do the exorcism, okay? But your heart needs to be in the right place because you don't want to be like the seven sons of Sceva who totally <laughs> got their butts kicked, you know, when they tried to exorcise spirits and they weren't prepared. They, yeah, they literally did. So, um, you know, if you run into someone who is possessed, you know, I'm not saying that you have to have a gift of exorcism. We don't find that anywhere in the Bible. But what you do need to do is have your heart in the right place to address it. And I don't think that all people who are demon-possessed, you're called upon to exercise that spirit. That guy that I confronted when I was 19, never once did I really feel like God was telling me, cast that spirit out. You know, and I had questions about that afterwards for quite a while. Like, did I not love this guy enough? Should I have tried? You know, but... There was nothing in me, nothing of the Spirit of God telling me at the time that I should try to exercise this Spirit. So I think you need to listen to the Spirit if you're in that type of confrontation. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we've touched on these issues. Lord, uh, this is your world. And Lord, uh, you've called us in this world to be faithful. Lord, we pray that you would guard our hearts, that you'd prepare us, Lord, for the battle that is before us. We pray that you'd use us, use even us, Lord, to be instruments of your peace. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to what you have called us to. Lord, that we would identify evil where it is before us. And Lord, that we would handle the evil in the way that you would have us handle it. That we'd resist it, that we'd call it out. And at times, Lord, that we take affirmative action. We pray this in your name. Amen.